Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome to episode 48 of the Nick and Matt Show. If you are watching live and on video, you see it is not Nick with me. It is my brother, Josh. Josh, you did so well last time, and the the reviews were rave. You didn't upset anybody. In fact, they think you were ready to take our jobs. How are you doing, man? I am doing good. Um, yeah, I'm surprised Nick let me come back. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> does he have any say or not? No, I'm just teasing. It was it was fun last time. You know I like to talk disc golf, and I'm glad to do it again. Yeah, actually, it was Nick's recommendation. He said, maybe you can get, we can't, he says, we can't let the listeners go two weeks without a show. Nick wasn't able to make it tonight, everybody. It's possible. I doubt it, but it's possible that he makes a call in here at some point. Um, So, and we're seeing in the chat already, someone said, man, we're just waiting for Nick. They got their Nick and Matt show hat. Now they're waiting for Nick to win worlds. Now, if Nick wins worlds, this show is, is going to go through the roof because people will want to know who is this guy that they've barely heard of maybe besides Nick and Matt show coming out and winning. It'd just be epic. It'd be amazing. Not that. Yeah. Not that that's this impressive, but if Nick wins world, I'll give him a thousand dollars of my own money. (laughs) If Nick wins world, I'll give him a thousand dollars of your own. All right. You hear that, Nick? You hear that, Nick? A little extra incentive. You never know. What if that puts him over the top? It'd be awesome. I, you know what? I'm doubling that a thousand of my own money. Yeah. Who else is in? Yeah. Anybody in the chat? That's funny. If Nick wins, we can really boost this, make it the most high payout worlds ever. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was funny. I was a little off topic. I asked Nick to send me some notes from what he's experiencing. He's actually out at Ogden, Utah, putting in the practice and the preparation for worlds. You might've seen him in Paul Macbeth's recent video, the vlog practice, etc. And apparently it's really hot out there. So that's uh, something that you can't really see on a camera unless, I mean, you're looking at dripping sweat or something, but um, Nick had, <laughs> Nick sent me quite a few hot takes. I don't know exactly how I'm going to get to them all tonight. Um, and I don't know if I'm ready to jump into it right yet. So let me get to this. Happy Father's Day to you, Josh. Um, you have three awesome kids, my nieces and nephews. How was your Father's Day? Yeah, it was It was good Father's Day. Um, he's talking about heat. I don't think it's quite like Utah, but it was hot around here. We just stuck around home. Um, the kids took care of me. Well, as much as young kids can. I still took care of them, <laughs> but I uh, hung around here. And for me, that included a little bit of relaxation. I enjoy running. And so I went for a run and Matt, I love smoking meat. So had nice barbecued ribs and uh, yeah, just really relaxed and tried to kind of take it in and remember what it's, you know, what it's like to be a father and why. So yeah, it was great. How about you? Like you said, you've, you've got a little uh, house full of uh, kids <laughs> as well. Yeah, four boys, Hunter, you know, 11 years old and all the way down to two-year-old. And the day before Father, so we were just on a whole week vacation, actually, with you and your family. The day before, so we got back the day before Father's Day, and I played a tournament, and I decided to enter MPO. And on our other show, Josh, over Disc Golf Pro Talk, I say our other show, like this is yours. On the show that Josh and I do together, separate from here, um, 
I usually end the segment by saying like, hey, go out and get your first ace this week or go out and, you know, birdie the whole course or shoot your personal best. I say something along those lines. And I think the last one I said something like, go out and get your first ace or something. But <laughs> I've had eight aces. But at this pro event, my first, no, not my first pro event, but in 14 years, it's probably like my third where I said, I'll play pro. I threw an ace on the second hole of the, the first round, like Sonic and of a Sonic right in the basket, 200 feet downhill. First tournament ace for me. So that was cool. Then we get to Father's Day, you were asking about, and I get to caddy for Hunter, who played in the AM side of this event. Just really cool time to be able to spend that and then, you know, home and enjoying. My kids made me, you know, cards and they take a trip to the dollar store and they buy me candy and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, thanks to their mom but for Matt, setting all like, that up. Yeah, but I mean, tournament ace, uh, you texted me or whatever. I saw you kind of share about it and I'm like, first of all, it's maybe embarrassing to say you actually maybe I shouldn't give this away. Uh, for uh, maybe one day you'll have me back on your uh, famous judge that disc golfer, but uh, I will give it away in that I've been playing for like 14 years also. And literally confession, I don't have an ace. It's unbelievable. Um, I don't play nearly as many rounds anymore. And so that the numbers game is uh, fading on me. But uh, what I told you is like uh, tournament ace, like first of all, an ace feels awesome. Tournament ace feels good. Cause there's people there like watching it's competitive, but then like you literally gain strokes on everybody with one throw and that's just got to be awesome i imagine it felt amazing yeah so people didn't come here to listen to this but i finished ninth i averaged like 20 something over my rating for the whole event which was awesome ninth in a field of 45 mpo i was like this is great you know i'm all pumped up leaving that event and i look at the scores from am side and i would have beat am side so like that i played well for myself but yes you're right the first hole my second shot or something was errant, and I'm like 45 feet out. And I'm like, to start my round, I'm going to bogey. And then I just kind of, I just, I get it in. So I save a par. And I was like, all right, all right. So I walk up to the next hole and I throw it in. And I'm like, man, <laughs> like this is just incredible. And the guy that ended up winning the whole event was on my card that round, like the first round. And he starts out birdie, birdie. And I start out, you know, big save and an ace. He's like, we're tied, man. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, that's excellent. So anyways, yeah. Th so just one last thing on that. I had a guy on my card who shot the hot round and the one stroke behind the hot round on my card. Well, the guy, anyways, long story short, I had amazing players and then one of them went to win it. It was like, I was sitting there. I shot okay myself, but I was still five behind them. Anyways, good day. Let's talk about does this some mean, Hey, does this mean you're a professional now? Like, so you and oh, Nick are both pros? I, I took, yes, actually I took my first cash, like MPO right. cash. It was awesome. I think for ninth place, I got like 115 or 120 bucks. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, no, I, I dabble. That's what I do. All right. So quick news before we jump into all things Pro Worlds. Did you hear about the Pro-Am Celebrity Tournament at Ben Askren, UFC, and also wrestler, U.S. Uh, champion wrestler, Ben Askren? He has a course called Funky Farms. And um, you hear about this Pro-Am Celebrity Tournament? Yeah, I did. I, I heard about it. I have to admit, I don't know all the details, although I think they didn't release a lot of the details yet. Um, first of all, yeah, with a name like Funky Farms, 
Um, in one way, I absolutely love that. In another way, it's a little like, ah, it just feels a little weird. Like, is this just like kind of a goof off tournament? But uh, honestly, I, I love it because um, it'll be interesting to see what names they pull in. But a real like true celebrity, even if it's like B or C list, right? But disc golf uh, oriented celebrity um, pro-am, get some of the top pros out there and some recognized names. That honestly could just be a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, I don't like, yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's, it feels about right because if you had tried to do this before Matt, I, I think the celebrities would have been like D or E list celebrities. In other words, not celebrities, but now we can actually get some real names and it can kind of feel real. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. I don't know what too many more details beyond that, but yeah, it was, it sounds great. um, chef Andrew Zimmern is going to hit that up, which is, he's obviously like pretty out there. Maybe not in the disc golf oh, Yeah, world. He's a big, yeah, but he, yeah, he's a big name. Chicago White Sox pitcher Dylan Cease. Okay. Um, pardon yeah. my take, podcast host, uh, I guess Dan Katz, nicknamed Big Cat. Some MMA fighters, obviously Askren bringing that in, including yep. Steven Wonderboy Thompson. And there's a lot of other invitations in the mail to PGA Tour pros um, like Bubba Watson and imagine this, Bryson DeChambeau, either of those. It, there, there's invitations is the point right but yeah it'd be very cool to see it would be very cool oh i mean th that's like so i'm sure there's differing opinions um you know we saw the all-star event which is nothing like a celebrity pro-am um except for the fact that i do enjoy when the time's right right nothing like pro worlds which we'll talk about right but when the time is right to allow uh pros to kind of unleash see some impressive stuff where there is quote-unquote competition but it's all about fun. Like I actually, I, I, you know, I want to consume that kind of content. Um, it certainly can't replace, you know, the real high level competition by any means, but when the time is right, like that's awesome. And then we talk about growing the sport, which maybe people have their own opinions on, but, uh, obviously getting more press, uh, more awareness in the celebrity side, uh, externally that legitimizes what you're doing even more. Right. So I think it's great. Yeah. And shout out to Andrew Zimmer. And if we go back a little bit in the history of even Josh and I doing kids disc golf, starting that organization, running it for five years or so. Um, remember Andrew Zimmer uh, was part of the auction off that Simon did for his bag and discs. And Andrew Zimmer put in like a bid of like, I don't know, it was a thousand bucks or eleven hundred bucks something. or something high. And it was for kids disc golf. And we, you and me were able to correspond through email with Andrew Zimmer in a little bit about like, Hey, here's where you can deposit the, the donation. So yep. what a great guy, uh, ambassador for Innova discs. And anyways, it will be very cool to see how that plays out. I think it's interesting. It seems like it's going to just be a fun vibe. It will be live streamed, uh, on funky farms. <laughs> it's not like a well, pro level we, course, and, which is, anybody, I think it's important. Yeah, anybody who pays attention to uh, all the different multimedia, let's say YouTube channels, we have seen some stuff at Funky Farms. We know the vibe there. Ben Askren's kind of a funny personality, right? We've seen him and Paul. Was Brody even there? I forget. Obviously, I think Hannah, so. Probably, probably some others. Like, so we've kind of seen the vibe at Funky Farms. I'm sure we'll see what he cleans cleans up on the course. And uh, again, obviously, I will actually look for it to be a relief of. Not so much potential cynicism on course design no, it's and what's the competition, but just like, hey, let's go out and do what most of us do on any given weekend, which is you try to win an event or or a, a round with your your friends, but you 
um, also have fun. Right. And so that's, you're going to see, awesome. and we can move on from this topic. You're going to see a lot of the pros trying to throw aces when the other player, you know, gets up there somewhere. It's just going to be a lot of fun. You're right. Um, all right. Moving into this other quick topic, disc mania departure from Innova. That was um, the big announcement this week, which wasn't a full surprise. If anyone has been following all that, there's been a lot of speculation about where are the original series discs? Like you can't get them. And the auction pages and groups are through the roof. Um, even Simon himself was saying it was, it was hard to come by unless people gave them to him. Um, and then an announcement, Hey, thank you, Innova for all the years. What a tremendous opportunity you've given us. Da, 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 da. And wait two days. We're going to tell you what's going on. And today was the second day. And today, this is Monday for those of you listening post. Um, you see, came on live, a nice little live broadcast through Discmania and said, everybody, we're making our own discs and we're going to recreate these lines with our own machines, yada, yada. I have a lot of questions I'd like answered. I think we're going to try to get UC on here at some point. Um, but do you have any reaction to that? So I have, I have two, two totally separate reactions. Um, first of all, from a, from a disc mania and like, what does it mean for disc golf standpoint? Like, I think it's awesome. Right. I mean, it continues to evidence the growth of the sport. Disc mania, albeit they have lots of challenges, some which have been frustrating, but a lot of their challenges are likely tied back to production. And so I think this is a perfect growth move for them. Um, they have a fairly solid brand. The sport's growing. The timing's right. And if they put out a good product, which all indications are that they will, right? Of course, their video touts that it's going to be you know, the most amazing uh, you know, plastic and, and process ever. And maybe it truly will be. So, um, from that sense, like really, really excited to see how it unfolds. I think it's good for disc golf and certainly good for disc mania fans. Like I think all the reception should be positive. The second reaction, Matt has nothing to do with the story of disc mania. I, I just say this with a smile on my face. I get a kick out of their video production and I, they put out good products. So I have to say they know what they're doing. They're doing it on purpose, but I'm just talking about like, you see walking in oh with the like lights the, the purple lighting it's the t-mobile wait right, right it's the t-mobile lighting <laughs> and at the end it like he and i i'm not honestly making fun of him i'm saying it like with a smile on my face that it's just go like, ahead make fun i sat there kind of with a smirk and i'm like i love this but i'm like what am i watching and, and then, then like you have... turns around and like it's like reinvent your life and like you see just fades into the purple but uh, anyway so two totally different observations yeah. I, the disc mania story is amazing i got a little chuckle out of that and i'm not saying it's bad I actually think it could be on purpose. It yeah. creates a vibe and you're kind of in a trance watching it. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. First of all, I got to remember that. Remind me of Apple, like Apple computer in just a second. But Nick jumped yeah. in. Nick just jumped in the comments here. Nick, if you're still there, I just need to throw this out there. Nick, Josh put down $1,000 added cash if you win Worlds this year. And Oh, yeah, Nick. Yeah, directly. I will send you $1,000 right. the night the evening that you win worlds, if you win it in 2020. Yeah. And, and Nick, I followed it up. I added a thousand dollars added cash as well. So Nick, no pressure. I hope you're there smiling on that one. That's 2000 more than Paul would win. No, maybe not. Paul's probably got a lot of nice bonus structures, but anyways, this $2,000 bonus from the Nick and Matt show from Josh and Matt. Okay. So I was talking about disc mania. And when I watched it, I was like, this is, he watches Apple's, keynotes for sure like the whole like we've been keeping a secret from you and like he does this whole 
amazing marketing as in like he knows all the ways to say it and why his discs are better than anybody's in the world. The plastic is unlike anything we've listened to you. It's better. Nobody else has this. Like he does marketing and that's what he does. Yep. Well, his video is produced. Well, I, I think I'm excited to see what they do with Discmania. Yeah. And you know what, truthfully, even though I say with a, a smile on my face about how part of it, it strikes me as a little bit funny, I truly think, Matt, that's because I've been in the deep parts of the sport for so many years that I know a little bit of like what goes into the production and how people will receive it. But I think at a broad level with so many new people entering the sport, I try to rewind my mind, which is not always easy to do, but back to when I started. And Matt, I would have eaten that stuff up. Right. And I, again, that's not even like being cynical. I mean that in the truest sense, like it's excellent, right? People will watch that and say, wow, that is the best designed plastic. That thing looks amazing on the video, the close-ups of that plastic. Right. And then you have Simon and Eagle who are like huge names saying like, this is incredible. Um, so really, yeah. So props to them. Um, I, the, in the disc golf world, the media game is an interesting thing. Advertising marketing, some places kind of nail it and some people waver a little bit in my opinion. So, you know, things can be won or lost. Um, I know, I'm not sure, again, walking off into the purple light will win or lose it, but the rest of the video was awesome. Yeah, we'll wrap up this topic, but I think it's generally, it's going to be exciting to see. They better, and I say they better as if I have any real say in this. I hope they make enough discs because that's been a very large complaint for a long time with them is because the market was so crazy, but maybe this is going to allow them to make 10,000 of one mold, you know, and like at least fulfill it to everybody. Always have discs available. I don't care if they do a special collectible run, but like have the normal run available full time always. Yeah. They may still face some of the same pressures that other uh, groups, but Matt, you and I are in the business world and we've had our own businesses. Being able to have control over that is a big win for them. So that's why if you're a Discmania fan, whether or not they are able to push out enough to meet demand is probably still a question to be answered. Which is but incredible. They have control over it. But that's right? incredible. They have control over it. If they, that's a if big, they, big thing for them. If they yeah. make 10,000 or 20,000 and they sell out, because here's the deal, they're coming off of when they're the most collectible discs out there right now, just about. No no slight to, you know, Paul Macbeth discs or Brody or anybody else. But if they're coming off of that, I even thought, I found myself, they said, okay, tomorrow, I think it was the P2, or whatever it was. I'm yeah. not a big Discmania yep. guy. It's coming out yeah, tomorrow. PG you can prototype. buy it. I'm like, yep. oh, I better go buy 10 of them because they're going to be the most collectible disc in the world. Like they, they've done something and hopefully eventually it flattens out for them. But all right, that's Discmania. A uh, quick shout out here to Elaine King. She got her first ever. She was actually the first ever player to reach 300 PDGA wins, like ever. So that's that, incredible. Yeah. You've had to play yeah, that- a long time. And, and win a lot. And win a lot. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the- regard yeah, regardless of how you slice the numbers there, Matt, like that's that's it's impressive. And so just simply say that, like three hundred wins. Um, yeah, like you're playing a lot of events and you're winning a lot of events. So yeah, congrats to Elaine. That's like six am I cor- incorrect here? That's like six years of playing everyday tournaments and winning every day. Just about. Yeah, break out the calculator. Like, but I lot. mean, it's got to be something in that range. That's insane, right? So congrats to her. Also, Josh, I know you're not seeing the live chat the same way I am. Uh, Nick says, all right, to our response for $1,000 added cash and me 1000 He says, Paul, Hannah, and I are all listening, so I'm going to hold you to it. So my only concern is that somehow Paul makes a deal with Nick. Last hold yeah. of the event, Nick's tied. Nick, 
Nick, I'll split it with you. I'm going to lay up. You get the putt. If that's what happens, imagine that storyline. Okay. Well, then I'm raising the bar. If if uh, Nick gets first and Paul gets second, then I'm giving like $4,000. to. I'm giving, yeah, $4,000 to Nick. What, what I love about this is you actually calculated what you would be willing to give because you're like, it could happen. Hey, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to more worlds. But my opinion is anybody could win. No, oh, yeah. We actually have that as a talking point. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's why I'm laughing. Cause I'm like, I want to say like, I'll give you $25,000. <laughs> I said, I want to say to be clear. Okay. Um, finally, let's start to move into some world stuff now. Okay. We've talked for a little while about all this stuff coming up, <clears throat> what's happened. So, um, let's get this out of the way fairly quick. And then we can talk through all this throughout the whole show. But is what are your player picks? If you had to lay down your top three, uh, picks. I mean, do you have a short list? I know we have another show and we've talked about it, but what would you say? Have you changed your mind? Uh, no, in, in no particular order, it's all the names you might expect to win, which maybe can be disappointing. But uh, in, in so I can say the names, but they're the, the regulars. So you're going to say, uh, I, right now, I would put Paul and Eagle at one and one, two. And then Ricky is just right there. Um, earlier in the year, we might've said he was one, but now I just think he's a shade off of just what we've seen, but that doesn't mean that starting tomorrow he torches it. So, uh, put their names there. And then I think right hanging on the tail end of that, you've got some of your other top names. So you've got Heinberg and Dickerson. So I think they're like three, four. Um, and then, uh, you've got a lot of other names vying. So those are like my top three. So if you really said top three, I'd probably say <laughs> Paul Eagle, Ricky, and I, I have Paul taking it, but Hold any on. one of those could. You didn't know until I told you Paul was in the show, but you change your picks because Paul's no, I'm kidding. You you're stuck to the same. You stuck to the same. No, no, that's it. And you know what? here's something funny. I'll let you share what you're going to share in a moment, but we had, yeah, I, I shared a, an opinion on who would win in, in our other discussion and somebody comments and says, Oh, you're, you're biased Eagle all the way or whatever. You yeah. Say, yeah. I saw right? that. You're biased. And I'm Josh. like, but hold on, <laughs> Matt. So for anybody, I else, love it. I love that's it. what picking. That's what picking a player to win is. You you look at all the facts and you bias your pick towards the facts. Unless they're like, confused with you being Nick, and then you'd be biased if you picked Paul. But <laughs> uh, well, yeah, okay, that's fine. But I just I'm laughing because I'm like, yes, of course, I'm biased to the person I pick, yeah. which is why I picked them. Now I'm, I'm jesting uh, or poking a little bit because I realize their point is their, their underlying point that they don't make so well is you're biased on some other emotional feeling or affinity towards biased, a player that's yeah. not evidence-based. I, I understand know. what they're saying, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of comical. So there's funny comical things. And I saw Paul, I saw you comment. I say you as if he, Nick said he's listening. I saw Paul comment. Uh, on some post about volunteers, how much are volunteers getting paid? It was in result to, we'll talk about it, like doubles, yeah, yeah, payouts, yeah. all that. But Paul's like, he literally like copy and pasted a description or a definition from a, like a dictionary <laughs> of like what a volunteer is. <laughs> Cause uh, it did, it did come out funny. Like how, let's talk about the volunteers, like getting paid first. And Paul's like, here's what a volunteer is. 
So, but that's yeah. a whole other conversation. Hey, I, language, language matters, whether you like it or not. Uh, when it comes down to debates, semantics, languages, words you choose actually do have a difference. I can have a little bit of fun with that because I know what the person means. But yeah, Matt, I have, I am biased towards Paul winning this event. Um, and then, uh, however, would I even be anywhere near shocked if, if Eagle or Ricky, honestly, even if one of them won by five or six or seven, like I think all it's doable just cause we know the swing in the sport and they're all right in that tier. Um, I'm much less inclined to say, for example, though, if somebody like Kevin Jones were to win it, which I'm not picking to win it, but like if Kevin wins, he wins it by like a stroke, right? In other words, I'm putting these people at the next tier of like, they could pop off in and win, but if they do, Barely, whereas an Eagle or Ricky or Paul could win by six, seven, eight, nine, right? In in the right circumstances. I'm not picking that. I think it'll be a close world. I think you're going down within two to three strokes, meaning it's coming down to the last like, you know, nine holes, depending on what happens, whoever's in the lead. That's just how it feels. And by the way, that's not because I have some foresight on pro worlds. It's just a five round tournament with some of the best players. It's inevitably gonna come down to that. Just an opinion. Yeah. But you know, I'm biased. So my pick. Yeah, me too. <laughs> My pick, okay, I'm going to get this out because I've refined it a little bit because I've been asked a few times since the last show I did. My pick was Paul, Ricky, Eagle as the top three. And I said that because I said Eagle potentially is the hottest player out there as in if he plays fire hot, like I think he's almost not impossible to beat, but he's very hard to beat. Like you would have to tie him. Like you're not going to beat him at his best because if he plays a perfect round, so does Paul, everyone. I mean, it's going to be a tie, but I don't think that that Eagle plays five fire rounds. Like I just don't see it. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. I don't know if it's in him yet. He can. That's my first take. Secondly, I picked Paul because Paul has the world's experience. And if we're doing odds on favorite, like I feel like he has that experience. This is not an incredibly, it's, it's a course, two courses that aren't incredibly slanted towards any one player. And Paul is the best all around player ever. That's my other take. So I pick him, but here's what, here's the hard part deep down inside. And maybe it's just, I know it's going to be a close battle. I feel like Ricky deep down inside. I feel like Ricky's going to win it, but that's not my pick. So I don't know. That's kind of like me being wishy-washy. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. But that's what I'm saying is like, it all depends, right? If, you, if you're actually betting, then you're forced to pick, right? Yeah. That's the way it goes. But even then you can hedge your bets, right? You can spread it out. But in, when it comes to conversation, I think it's fair and reasonable, at least in my opinion, to acknowledge that, hey, there's a handful of people that we think could easily win. And they're all, they're all there. At that point, you're picking somebody right at the top. However, it is worth noting something like, uh, I mean, first of all, Paul is your reigning world champion. So unless something changes, I think it's very reasonable to say that that person is the favorite. Now, there's always, right, eventually time, I'm not even suggesting it's now, I don't think it's now, but there will be a turning point, right? That does happen when eventually something right? Has to shift and you don't always see it coming, right? And then maybe, you know, Eagle wins the next five out of eight. But currently, Paul's the reigning and He's won five out of the last eight. So to say that he's not a favorite would mean you're literally saying you're observing something that has changed substantially enough to make him not a favorite. And I understand an argument for Eagle or an argument for Ricky. Like, I think it's a reasonable argument, but it's also not like a foregone conclusion to say, well, I don't know if, if Paul, it's like, okay, he's, I, I'll say, right. He's the best player in the world right now. He's also our current world champ. Yeah. 
So in the presser that just happened prior to the show, Paul went as far as to say he's being viewed as the underdog coming into this. He's not being in majority of people's picks. So for you and I well, to come out. Yeah, thank pick, you. Thank you, Ulta World. Right. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe. Picked him. But but to be fair, a lot of people when they're actually making, like you said, their pick, they they aren't a lot of them. I say a lot. The numbers are obviously, who knows, anonymous. But a lot aren't picking Paul. Uh, some are picking their favorites. But yes, Ulti World did that. Um, but is it, isn't that what Paul loves? A little fuel for the fire? I mean, but here's like <clears throat> other scenarios to come out. And now I'm just totally just like making up like stories. But like, it'd be horrible to see Paul come out and just have like, well, no, let me change it. I was going to say it'd be horrible to see him come out and shoot like bad, like eight off the lead. But you know what? We've seen that so many times for Paul. And you know what we haven't really seen in a while? And I'll just say it this way, McBeast mode. Like we haven't right. seen that in a while where it was like. Oh, we almost saw it, right? We all, well, it, yeah, I, I agree with you, by the way, on that. I would just say, though, you get glimpses of it at Portland when he hits that putt on 18 and he got to that point, right? Um, off of Chase card. I, I totally agree, though, chasing it down, putting the pressure on for the win. But uh, again, this is why I'm more confident because it's a five uh, round tournament too, right? Almost every one of these players are going to have some round that's considered an off round, which will still be an amazing round, right? But it'll be an off round compared to the other competitors. But on average, out of five, your best are going to be there at the end, which I think is what makes Worlds different, right? That, like, that's just my opinion. I mean, there's actually a lot of things that makes it different, but one of the big ones is, is that it's more rounds than the other events. And so you feel more confident that the player who wins this tournament is truly your world champion, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of stats from previous years. Now that we've, you know, talked about a little bit of our picks, we will talk stats from StatMando, um, statmando.com. In fact, I will give them a shout out. Um, really cool stuff that they're doing over there. Uh, not to be overshadowed, if that's the right way to say it, by Udisc's recent re release of their, their um, probabilities of when players versus players they release something really cool we'll talk about but stat mando just released something so if you like the udisc which is a very large platform check out statmando.com because if you're into stats and numbers and things of that nature and i know you like that josh you can go in there and put any two players head to head and they will look at their uh what's their, their history in events that they played who won against who and you could put paul versus ricky or uh, anybody versus anybody. And it will tell you in the previous, I think it's 10 years, they go back to 2010, um, what that was like, uh, how many times they won against each other. And how many times. It's really cool. Other features coming, but we're going to talk stats here in just a minute. Um, but before we do that, um, give me one or two, you don't need to give a big description on it, but like, have you thought through, I mean, you kind of did dark horses. Do you have any, anybody? Yeah, it would be hard for me to actually. So as far as what I might classify as a dark horse, probably haven't given it enough thought to elaborate here, but I would just say it's that tier right below. So they're still recognizable names. Okay. But here's how I would, I would preface this. These names, which I'll give a few, the only people who are actually picking them to win are like their kind of hardcore dedicated fans. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's still a possible pick. These people feel justified in picking them, but it's because they're they're fans of that player, right? So Kevin Jones, Kevin could certainly win this event, 
Like I would say apps like, yes, for sure. Right. There's actually, it's more than just a fighting chance. He's got an okay chance at winning worlds, but most people are not picking Kevin unless you are a hardcore Kevin fan. So Kevin's in that bucket. Simon Lazat's in that bucket. Right. And but like Simon might even be a step above because he's got the talent, but this year probably not, right? Just out of reach. Um, I would have to think through some of the other so, names. So maybe I could even look them over. But those are two examples to me that are in that like next tier, but people aren't um, you know, picking them. Maybe Chris Dickerson, although I'd probably put him in the top tier along with Calvin. So I don't wouldn't they are certainly not dark horses. But how about like Nico or James Conrad? That's that bucket where I don't know how the right words here, Matt. I wouldn't be shocked if they win, right? But I would be, what's the difference here? I'd be well, surprised. Were you shocked when Greg <laughs> right? Barsby won? What, what about Barsby? Were you shocked when Greg Barsby won three yeah, years so ago? Like, again, maybe it's all about semantics. I'm not sure if I'm using the words right. Barsby, I would, I put in the shocked category, right? What that. He was a dark horse. Yeah, Barsby was. So again, not somebody where we're like, wow, who is this person, right? Not totally buried. Like, like Barsby, put it this way, Barsby competing and showing up on the top card didn't shock me, right? Like he was that, he was good enough to like, okay, here he is competing in worlds. The way he played down the stretch was awesome for him. All right. right? So let me give you real quick, my dark horse, then we'll talk a little bit FPO. Dark horse for me, I think, yes, James Conrad. Emerson Keith, for whatever it's worth, shows up or has showed up, and he just recently performed well at Utah, though Utah Open beat out Ricky. Uh, obviously, that's its own thing, but um, <laughs> Brody hey, Smith, like, we're Brody Smith jumping we're in the chat. MPO, we can talk FPO, too, because we skipped those names, but um, Adam Hammes is a name that I skipped over. We He's in the top shouldn't. 10. Yeah, yeah so here's but, the thing. But just But to be clear, right, I put him in that like second bucket where like, Adam could come out and win. Um, I would be surprised, but not shocked, right? Like, that's yeah. the way I would say it. Yeah, so Brody jumped in the chat. I love when he does that. He shares awesome opinions there. Uh, Brody, we're going to get to you. You said something today that's actually a whole topic. You said it in your presser. It's a whole topic for tonight. And I kind of want to trend towards that because we're talking dark horses. Uh, the dark horse himself in the chat is a talking point. And what this was, if you listen to his press conference, Brody says... He has a chance to win worlds. And my initial reaction to that was interesting thought because doesn't, I, I don't want to say everybody, there's got to be a cutoff line, but doesn't everybody at pro worlds have a chance to win worlds? Like there's a chance. And if we were betting, it would be like, if I bet on Brody and he won, like how much money, I mean, I'd make a lot of money because he's not an odds on favorite. He's not top 10. And it's like his, I guess what I'm getting to is the fact that he said that made me start to think to myself, yeah, like we're talking about all these top four, top five, top 10 players, but what about players like a, for instance, you're right. I'm going to throw one out there. Zach Melton. Yeah. Like, is he playing worlds going, Hey, I just want to have a good fun time out here. Or is he playing to win? Yeah. Well, all right. So, I mean, you're picking him as a name. So but let's let's go back to to Brody as a name for an example. I kind of have a couple of thoughts on this. So first of all, technically speaking, of course, any player who enters the event can win. 
And by the way, I don't say that glibly, like literally, right? Like I actually, like I truly believe that, right? Um, secondly, any pro athlete worth their professional right name should truly believe that if they play their best, that they can win. Now, there may be some professional athletes who are in the ranks who are aspiring to be top champions and know they're missing certain skill sets. And so they may actually know that it's not reachable. But anybody outside of that, like somebody who's developing, right? Anybody who's like, no, I'm actually here. And so like Brody may be that where he's like, look, I've got all the essential skill sets. I may not execute every moment, but I've got what it takes to win the world championships. Then any player worth their muster should believe that they can win. And so I don't know, right? But let's say if Zach Melton believes that I've got all the essential skill sets, I just got to execute, then he should believe that truly, like deep inside. Um, Matt, I've competed in all different sports over the years. Um, and there are some things that I still compete in now, namely running for what it's worth, where there are certain areas that I know, like I don't have that skill set, so I wouldn't expect to win, but there are other areas where I'm like, I, I probably won't, but I could, right? Like I could have the best day of my life and actually like win, right? Whatever, whatever it is. And so I think Brody's right. And somebody like Brody certainly should have that perspective because he has the skill sets if he executes to show up on lead card. And if you're on lead card, anything can happen, right? You can shoot lights out. And, um, certainly if we're using the term dark horse, which I don't know what the actual definition is, <laughs> right? But Brody probably fits that category. But I also don't think it's like a, like an absolutely absurd far cry. And Matt, you can actually plug it into UDisc and compare. And mm. Brody has a 7.1% win probability against Paul Macbeth in any given tournament. That is not zero. <laughs> Where did I hear that recently? It was, um, it's not so zero. Tell me there's a chance. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I, it was some, Never mind. I was going to say, I was watching like, uh, it just, uh, America's got talent and like this, there's cancer patient. And honestly, it was very inspiring. She's like, I have a 2% chance of living, which was very obviously like surprising and touching to hear that. And she's like, and that's not zero. Like, let's go. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, yeah. The fact right, that you but... have a percentage chance, and this was what you were saying, and I agree with that. If you know you have the ability, you have the tools, you have the skills to be able to do that, um, then yes. Now, me, because I don't throw farther than on my farthest drive ever, 410 right now. I'm working on it. I think if there's a course that allows people to get to a basket at 440 feet and they're able to get the birdies, I don't have the skill set to beat them. So like there is that line where I'd say, no, I don't. Now, if you put me on a well, course that's, why, that's yeah. 300 and honestly put me on a course that's 350 feet in the woods against the best in the world. Is it a small chance? Yes. Maybe it's half a percent, but like I could do it. So yes, everybody has that. But yeah. Chance. But like, right. So like you've got to, I'm automatically for conversations, like discounting all the players who are there who don't think they can win. Like that's, that's silly. They're there for a different reason. And that's fine. They can go Brody, play and they can play be, in the bottom like four or five cards. Like good yeah. for them. But like I, I'm not even including them in my conversation. Like I, I don't want to like pick them to win. No. They don't think they can win. But it's those people who are actually re professionals. I say actually. I don't mean PDGA designation. People who are aspiring to try be the best player, right, at this elite level. Um, I think any one of them could win. And you know, far fetched from a statistic standpoint, but I don't mean that like 
you know, from like a philosophical standpoint, like I truly believe they actually could win. And, um, again, I don't say this in light, like passing. This is why we watch the sport, right? This is why we watch sports in general, because we all actually believe that anybody could win. And we Um, have seen stories in this year and in the previous year where player, well, again, Greg Barsby, but then you see like Colton Montgomery coming out and like winning one event, good player, decent player, but not like you don't see him ever again as far as like top five or, you know, up there competing regularly. Um, but okay. So we've talked through, there's so many people you could pick. It's really like you could go on and on. That's kind of, I want to wrap that up. It's like anybody could win it. Brody commented. There's a lot of people there just for the experience of worlds and just to have fun. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what you were just saying, Josh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so- exactly. Yeah. That's good for them. But yeah, I'm not even counting them in the discussion, but somebody like Brody as an example, or it could be any other name. We're just, we're using that name now is like, if they say they think they can win, I don't think that's foolish. I think it's real and they should have that take. And I'm rooting for somebody like that. And then at the end of the day, you say, well, statistically based on experience and averages and history in the, the eye test, there are some players that I think will win. Right. For sure. Not those people, but man, I, I mean, we will talk, maybe we'll talk about it, but like the various storylines that could pop up from anybody, whether it being uh, one of those favorites winning, any one of those could be a groundbreaking story um, or down the line and be a totally different twist on the story. Like, can you imagine again, if, if Brody wins, I mean, that would be like amazing. Like that'd make <laughs> me smile ear to ear, right? Yeah. Like that would just be incredible. I, as we've um, said before, worlds is big this year, a lot because of the competition that didn't happen last year and the explosion of disc golf and the storylines that have come. There's a lot on the line here for players to either have, you know, six world titles or new player. It's, there's a lot out here and we're going to see, are you so excited? It's pent up. It's happening tomorrow. First round. And we're going to watch what happens. And honestly, like my head right now is like, what is it going to be? (laughs) Like, are we going to have the same old story? I say same old that we usually see. It could be, you know, Paul's behind the lead by three or he's right there or Calvin's just back or Eagle. Are they going to come out pretty consistent? Everyone's right there. Or are we going to see some like hard fall off where it's like, yeah. wow, that player is going to have a lot of work to do. Right. Yeah. But because it's the world championship and this is why I love it, no matter how it unfolds, Matt, there's something exciting about it. Yes. Right. Whereas there are some other events let's just not even like pick an event, right? Let's just say kind of some B tier or whatever, where depending what happens or may or may not be exciting to watch the second or third round. Right. But this <laughs> yeah. is worlds is not that way. Cause even if all your favorites are 10 strokes back, there's something exciting to watch. There's something exciting to talk about. All right. If all your favorites are pulling away mm. and it's literally <laughs> the, the same four yes. on the lead card, that is something exciting to watch for. Um, so yeah. Hey, and Matt, I know the field is not as deep. So, right. It doesn't, uh, you know, the further down you go, the dark horse conversation kind of takes a slightly different twist, but I don't know if we talk about our FPO picks or if you were planning on bringing that up before we move on. Yes. So the FPO picks are pretty simple. Paige Pierce is the odds on favorite. She's probably going to do it again. I've picked her when she returned from Hawaii to win 80% of her events or more for the rest of the year. Um, she's going to, that's my pick. She's going to win it. Now the battle between second and third in my mind 
There are more that can compete for it now, but the battle in my mind is more complicated because now I feel like you have three or more players that could buy for second or third or fourth, like at any given time, which is Katrina, Kristen Tatar, and Haley King. Those are like my main, like, okay, who's going to take second or third? I think I've picked earlier this week. I said Kristen Tatar for second, Katrina for third. Um, that's not saying Haley King's not going to come out and perform well and be in that conversation, and she could do it the last day or whatever, but you had to pick. That's my picks. I think it's out of reach. I hate to say it's out of reach for someone like Heather Young. Um, out of reach again? Maybe she's a 7% odds on favorite too. Like, she could do it, but like that's not a pick for me. Um, and, and then there's a, a list of other FPO that I'd say, eh, Probably not Juliana Corver, although this the fort kind of sets up for her. But yeah, so I, I go with Paige. Probably the second and third between Kristen and, and Katrina. So yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I wouldn't add too much to that conversation because I'd agree that Paige is clearly the odds-on favorite, both literally and figuratively, right? Like she's she should take this down um, with no problem. And when I say no problem, I don't mean it's a true runaway, but for example, by the end of the event, right, being ahead by six, seven, eight strokes total over five rounds is very easy within reach. And it, it could be bigger than that, but I don't want to like overplay that either. Right. Cause Katrina has competed well with her. It's just at the end of the day, you expect Paige to come out ahead by like one, or two strokes per round, right? Which is not, I mean, like, that's still amazing for Katrina. Now, with a margin like that, though, right, it doesn't take much to go wrong. So, like, I, I hope it's it, it can still be exciting. Um, and just like we said in MPO, the, the depth of the field is different, but the storylines can still be quite compelling, right? Again, if after round one, Paige is not on the lead card, there's something exciting to watch for, right? Um, oh, yeah. If, if, um, if she is right? And she's kind of, uh, you know, pulling away or jockeying. It's a five round tournament. Let's see, right? Anything can happen. Um, because we have Kristen Tatar, international player from Estonia over, you know, able to compete in worlds. Um, that's an exciting twist that Matt, it's literally a player that people, some people are picking to win who we have not watched play this year, right? That's a really interesting story. So yeah, my eyes will be glued. I believe FPO is, uh, teeing off first each day right so we will get that coverage um and so we'll see that story unfold and then we'll move to the mpo in the second half of each day and i do have a full-time job which works pretty much daytime hours but i can promise you i'm going to find in to take as much <laughs> um yeah like there's nothing like this event to me you're right us dgc is is awesome but for me uh consuming worlds is like where it's at. Like I'm just super excited. And when Paige Pierce says something like this, I'm here to, re this is in the press conference today. I'm here to remind everyone that I'm the one to beat. I'm the best woman player to have ever played this game and I am not going anywhere. I'm getting better. Oh baby. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you want <laughs> to hear that. Probably she's, true. If she backs, if she wins worlds, you can't tell her that she's wrong. Right. So yeah, hopefully and, she does yeah, that. But wow. I mean, first of all, like I believe it. So like awesome. What, how crazy is it though? How quickly things can shift. Now what I mean quickly is not the overarching story of his page. One of the best women that like that didn't happen quickly. Right. She has been proving that for many, many years. Right. So that that's not new. Um, but I'm talking about within this season, 
like it was literally just several months ago where everybody's like, oh, Paige, right? Mind game, you know, what's happening? Can she win? You know, uh, even I had, I kind of echoed a little bit of some concerns, not deep concerns, but like, hey, I wonder what's happening. And now it's just like not even a question. It's just amazing how quick things can kind of shift even within a season. But, you know, she's proved for many, 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 many years, right? 10, 10 plus years that she's one, one of the best. And so I think that kind of confident statement, first of all, is true. Um, second of all, this shows how important the mental game is because I think Paige stating that is an assertion of confidence, which in some ways is self-fulfilling, whether we believe that or not. Saying you're confident makes you feel like you're confident, makes you play confident. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think you just to echo what you said, that was one of my takeaways was the fact that she felt like she had to say that or she didn't, but she, the fact that she did say that was like, what? And she said this in a, I think she said this in our interview when we had her on this show, like she goes away and people are like, what's wrong? Like you didn't play an event. She goes, what am I chopped liver? Like she's feeling this, she's feeling this feeling of like, wow, like there's other storylines if I'm not there vying for it and people are thinking there's other storylines. Like, what about me? What about me? I'm the best. So she yep. says it. I am the best. I'm the one to beat. Like, I'm the best to ever play the game, FPO, you know? So, yep. okay. Hey, but I, I I know we're probably moving on or at least uh, transitioning a bit, but what would be super exciting for me is after, after round one or round two, you have like Paige and Kristen tied. Oh, yeah. Because... Nobody's seen Kristen and it'll literally kind of rock the boat a bit, right? Not rock it that everybody thinks she can't be that good, but nobody knows, right? If I had to choose, and it though, would just be, it would be pretty awesome. If I had to choose, Kristen does not come out hot, but she's such a high rated player as meaning her average performance that over five rounds, she's going to yeah, be, there, be there, I think. So that's yeah. my, that's my guess there. Um, just so hard not to have any to, to know, right? So, so right. hard to know. I wanted anyway. to move into some of the field games. But before we do that, meaning the field games that they performed this week, let's talk about just to kind of show the history trend. And this is provided by Stat Mando. Um, yeah. The previous 10 world's winners, okay? If you go back to 2010, you have Eric McCabe. And I'm just going to list these in ascending order. Next year, 2011, was Nate Doss. And then you have a four-win... Both four. retired players, by the way. So yeah, they're off exactly. The and then you have a four streak win by Paul McBeth from 2012 to 2015. Okay. Then Ricky wins two in a row, 2016 and 2017. Um, 2018, we already said it, Dark Horse Barsby comes in. You take off 2000 and, uh, well, not yet. 2019, McBeth wins. Okay. In Peoria, Ledstone, he performs pretty well there. But so did, so did Ricky. Um, but then you go off year, and now the conversation is you still have what's incredible, Macbeth, Wysocki. But I think out of that whole previous 10-year list, besides Macbeth and Wysocki, you've added now probably three or four more who are really contenders. So that's the new storyline here. And then yep, completely agree. just looking at it, if I just go quickly, second place winners, that stand out besides Macbeth winning second, if he's not winning first for a long time, um, besides him notable back in, this is 2013. And unfortunately he's not playing this year was Dave Felberg took a second place. I thought that was interesting. Um, Anthon took a second place just three years ago. He's also not playing this year. I don't know the exact story there. He announced he's not playing worlds this year. I thought so, he was out there, but I guess he not. was. And he said he tried to All make right. it work, but he just withdrew. 
Interesting. Um, but if you go to third place, this is kind of interesting because this is the people who were there contending at some level, okay? Um, you have Emerson Keith at the last World Championships getting third. Emerson Keith. He's still a contender. He won at Utah Open just recently. But you have Johnny McRae back in 2017. Mm. That is like, in your mind, you're like, okay, that's that like dark horse pick. Like, they could get there. Lo Castro, third place. Shoestrick, just back to 2015. Will Shoestrick, that's six years ago. He was third place at Worlds. I mean, it seems like forever, which it kind of is. Um, you have Yuli. This goes way back 11 years, uh, taking third place back in 2010. So I guess my point is there's some interesting storylines from the trend here, but it's all like the same quality of player. So that's what we can expect. You don't really have any dark horse picks in the past 10 years besides Barsby once, and it can happen. Right. All right. Look at FPO real quick. The trend here. This is a little bit different in some ways, but let's look 2010, uh, Sarah, uh, Stanhope or Cunningham. Then 2011 page Pierce, Sarah Hokum in 2012 page Pierce in 2013, Katrina Allen in 2014 page Pierce in 2015 uh, Valerie Jenkins in 2016, Paige Pierce in 2000. It's every other Paige Pierce in 2017, Paige Shu 2018. Guess who won the next year? Paige Pierce. It's every other year. And guess what happened last year? No worlds. Yeah, which is her off year. So exactly. good for her. So now she can actually repeat as a world champion. <laughs> exactly. And to to move on from all of this world talk, who's going to win and all that, and talk more about maybe some of the fun surrounding the event and maybe some of the course talk and all that. Let's just go to the trend here again for FPO, second place, third place, like we did for MPO. Um, interesting. Valerie Jenkins was a runner-up at Worlds quite a few years. Second place, she took it for 2011, 12, 13, and 17, she took second place. Like, that's significant. She's not playing anymore. Yeah, by in by one stroke, by the way. Yeah, th th three strokes in 2011, and then one stroke in 12, one stroke in 2013. Yeah. In so other she, words, she was right there. And she's not playing anymore. No. Nope. And then you have Pierce getting a second two of those years, so she was right there always. So again, I think she's just a shoe, and you got to pick her. But Sarah Holcomb wins 2015. I mean, takes second place. Um, which, by the way, is that page is third? Yes. So 2015, this was really interesting, Josh. In the press conference, Paige Pierce said that her third world title, 2015, she has an asterisk. She is the one who says she has an asterisk. Um, and she said it's because it was Sarah Holcomb's tournament. And if you remember some of the details surrounding it, I don't remember the full stroke lead, but Sarah Holcomb had a car accident leading into the final round and missed certain amount of holes so she had you know par plus four and she had a significant lead to where Paige feels like sarah would have won it easily um so that's something to be talked about Paige said uh i view this more as like my fifth world title although i will take obviously as a sixth and i'll be the most winning fpo player ever for worlds but that's an interesting take uh what do you think about that just in general to Paige saying hey this is like my fifth yeah, well, I mean, well, I, I didn't hear the quote except how you relayed it. I think um, it's a nice thing to say. 
I think it is good to recognize each pro world's championship in its own context, right? So in other words, it, it is appropriate to look at, well, who were you competing against? What were the circumstances? Cause it changes the, the essence of the story. That's just reality, whether you like it or not. But at the end of the day, right? The actual, like, did you win is a check mark? Yes or no. Right. So that's what it comes down to. So I, I guess it's a fine quote to say it's probably nice, but to me, like at this point, I would rather not like detract from from all that. Like you can look back at that story. It's a real story, but no, like just, you know, Paige, if you, if you win, you've got your sixth, there's no asterisk there. And I, I don't, she wasn't saying there's an asterisk on her sixth, but anyway, I, it's an interesting story. It's nice to say, but for the most part, I'd rather say, well, she just won. So it is what it is. Yeah. Cause every one of these has some story. I realize that's a little bit extreme. That's pretty rare that that happens, but you know, <laughs> Here's the other bigger, interesting, unfortunate, however you want to label it, story to come out of Worlds in the last couple of years, which was our last World Championship, 2019, second place, Evelina Salonen, five strokes back from Paige Pierce, mm -hmm. five, which is pretty good going into a final round, whatever that was, you know, her lead. She was able to get within five. We take a year off because of the pandemic. They can't make it over here. Do you remember all the feelings surrounding that? Like... Salonen, Tatar, Heather, uh, Henna, Blumruz. Um, and it was really all starting to take off. And then you had Haley King and Heather Young. And, you know, it was just like, I hope we get back to that because I think we would see even a better, a better competition. No asterisks this year. I'm not saying right. that. I'm saying it would have even been amped up more. Yeah, exactly. So to my comment a moment ago, it is reasonable to look at the context of every particular win. And this year's context will be, First year post COVID or really still somewhat impacted by COVID with not great international representation, um, especially for some players who could be legitimate or likely would be legitimate competition. So I think we should look at the context and that's kind of, you know, uh, a description for the championship for this, this year's worlds. That's not an asterisk. That's just saying like, what was the story going into it? But yeah, I totally agree. Right. So anybody who wins is still at the outright world championship, no asterisk, no need to look back on it and wonder if it was legitimate. However, totally agree that based on what we know, and again, we don't know much in the last year and a half, but based on what we know, some of them could be a very, they, they could shift, right? Uh, the actual story and who's those second tier picks that could make a run at page. Um, because they did that year, even in some other events, right? I forget exactly. I just look back at the stats to, to see it all, but they won, right? Um, Memorial, I believe, you know, kind of right out of the gate and they were vying for those, those top, top spots and 2020, we might've seen more of the same and we might've seen a little bit of a, you know, a, a shifting of the, uh, the ground, but not yet. So I guess we'll have to see. So hopefully they're getting their practice in and we can actually see, um, them kind of re-enter the uh, global competition, or maybe we can go have worlds over there, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and let them have their home course. Uh, I don't know if it's a home course advantage or not, but it'd be pretty awesome to see um, kind of a true global competition. Yeah. Other trends from stat Mando here that they created so nicely for us again, check out their website, that new head to head matchup. That'd be awesome. Um, so I just want to notice a few trends here. If I look at stroke total to win worlds over the last 10 years, it's significantly higher, you know, in the past, the first, like 2010 to 2015, they're way up in the 300, sometimes 400s. There was more events. I mean, more rounds. You get back to 2016 and the rounds start going down. Um, I think was Augusta, Georgia. What was the one year they went back to four rounds? 
It might have been Augusta, Georgia. That's really low. It's only 229 strokes to win. That's the lowest I've ever seen by a significant margin. Yeah. But what's interesting to note is 2018 was 270 strokes to win. 2019 was 272 strokes to win. That's within two strokes of what it took to win. Um, and if you go back to Emporia, Kansas, 282 strokes to win. I mean, you're, you're in that range, but the, the past two world championships are 270 and 272. So, but yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going with that fully, except to say that you look at second place previous years, 272, 273. So the scores are right there. It'd be interesting. I think we're going to see something right in that line. So that's just an interesting trend. Also cash trend. 10 years ago, they were getting $5,000 MPO payout. The highest ever was Augusta, Georgia in 2017 when Ricky took it down, $12,000. But if you look at the last five years, $10,000 is like what's expected, $10,000. So um, you see FPO go from 10 years ago, $1,400 up to $5,000. I think that's something that the disc golf world would like to see changed to get yeah. that up. A world championship feels like it should be at least similar to MPO, even if the field's not as large. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's a different vibe, maybe different overall context, but when the pro tour championship, which by the way is great to win, but it's nothing like the world championship, at least in most disc golfers eyes. Um, and they're giving out a $20,000 paycheck. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, in, a, that's in a whole general, conversation. <laughs> right. In general, I kind of maybe I have two sides of this like feeling is one is the sport will continue to grow in that space. And sometimes something like World's Championship may lag, whether it should or not is part of the debate, but just a bit on the overall trend of what's happening. So in other words, I think it'll get there and I might give it some time. Uh, in the same sense, it doesn't have to lag that much. In other words, they can respond right to the active market and say, look, things are really ramping up. Why are we not ramping up at the same pace? And it doesn't, I, and I understand I've, I have run events. I understand budgets. I understand all the competing priorities. There's a lot of factors. I'm not saying any of it's easy, but you would think pro worlds could be paying out more than $10,000. Um, and so, and as part of that discussion, Let's kind of roll into it now. Thank you again to Stat Mando. Um, I, I, I guess not fully, fully moving out. Let me just get this last part in. Paul's obviously his best finishes are first place. Do you know what his worst finish was? If you look at the stats, you can see it. 15th was his worst ever. Let's give this one out there. Thanks, Stat Mando, for this. Obviously, Ricky's first place was his best. 19th was his worst. Um, Simon Lazat. Best ever third. Um, McMahon. Now, this is interesting. You ready? Before you looked at this stat, would you have guessed that Eagle had ever placed better than sixth at Worlds? Um, I would have guessed it. Just off the top of my head, I would have said, yeah, well, probably. Well, I mean, so I understand why you would have guessed it. I actually wouldn't, but that's only because I'm aware that, and this is an interesting part going into it, Eagle is infamous for underperforming at World Championships. Like, that's just like what he has done, which is one of the reasons why I'm not quite picking him to, to win just yet, even though of course I think he can win. Right. And I won't be even surprised a bit, but like he has not done that. He just has not world championships. And I feel like he's different this year. So great. Like, right. I'm not, 
<laughs> for anybody who wants to overreact to what I'm saying, I'm not saying Eagle can't. Like, he probably has as good a chance as anybody. But he has not done it historically. That's a fact. Well, I, yeah, so I find that really interesting. His worst is 39th. He's only in the last 11 years now. It's 10 worlds. He's only competed in five in the last 10 years. So back in um, 2000, and well, I don't know actually what it is. Five, five events, five worlds events since 2010. Um, and then other interesting note, Calvin's competed in five worlds and what's his best finish. Now the chat's like, give me more time. We want to guess. We don't want you to give us the answer. And I get that. So Calvin Heimberg, here's your delay. His best finish ever. Same thing. Not that great. 12th place. Now, Josh, part of the conversation here though is, and we said, you said this for Eagle, but I think it has to be said, but at some point it's all of a sudden the time. So like, is it the oh, time? Right. Is it the time where he's going to continue yeah, to do it? That's why there's a debate, right? Exactly. Like, so this, a lot of people's opinion is this is the time when Eagle's going to like come out and win. And I think that's a reasonable opinion, but right. Historically, again, I, not to go back. Cause I know you just went to Calvin, but like, it's just, I mean, Eagle, like literally eighth, going backwards from 2019, eighth place, 39th place, 26th place, sixth place and 10th place. I mean, Matt, those are underwhelming at best for somebody who's one of the best in the world. Yeah. And then Calvin's similar, but actually a little bit worse overall average performance than Eagle when it comes to Worlds. So it's like, that's just where it's intriguing, right? That is the question is, so do they turn the page here, win a world championship? And then the next question would be, can they do it again and again and again, like Paul has done and like Ricky has done, right? That That's what everybody wants to see, or at least that's that's the interesting debate. Yeah. So... I think we've done a lot of that talk about the players, the history of performances, who we think, all of that. Um, I think there's a few interesting topics we could possibly bring here. I think it's interesting. Paige came in saying, I have performed at least 15 rounds on each course. So she's coming in saying she's really good. She's really comfortable. Katrina was in her press conference saying, I I don't know if she listened to pages or not, but she comes in saying I have performed like a lot. I like I feel very at home on these courses. So like she's saying she's ready to go as well. Uh, I also found it interesting to say in the press conference just earlier today, Kat says she doesn't really care to voice an opinion on courses. More or less, she doesn't have an opinion. She's going to play the course for what it is. If it's really windy, if it's really short, if it's really long, if it's really wooded, if it's unfair, all these things, she's saying like, hey, I'm here just to play it. Let's let's go. I don't care to talk about it. Now, other players are having their opinions on these courses. And Paul was quoted as saying, it's the I think, I think I say quoted. I was trying to write this down as I was listening. Shortest course ever. And I think he's talking about, I don't know which course. Actually, I shouldn't speculate. But he said one of these courses was the shortest ever. And I feel like well, Mulligan is slightly shorter than the four. Yeah. They're both like I, I'm rounding numbers here. I literally don't have this in front of me, but Mulligan's is somewhere around 7,700 and Fort's probably like 8,300. I literally guessing that based off of when I looked in the past. So um, they're both relatively short. I say relatively. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's we, talking we about just, Mulligan's. Yeah. But we and, just came off of like courses that were 12,000 feet also. So talk so, about like whiplash. Yep. And Paul's going, it's all about placement because you're going to have bunkers, you're going to have water. So all I'm trying to say is we're leading into courses that are, I like it because it is anybody's game. Now, Nick texted me that 
and I don't think he cares that I share this because I said, send me, send me the takes. Um, <laughs> ultimately, he said, and Nick's going to have to explain this when he gets back because I'm not going to be able to do it any justice, but he literally said no one likes the courses. That's what he said. So, Nick, I'm sorry if that's out of context, but that's how you send it to me. Um, uh, also, this was interesting, you know? It's like little TMZ here, kind of, but they didn't shut down. They didn't shut down the golf course for practice. Okay, this is Mulligans. It's a golf course. They didn't shut it down. You had to pay for your practice rounds as a disc golfer. You had to pay for every single practice round. Now, Everyone has an opinion on that. That's not so much what I'm here to talk about, although I think my preference would be that it's built into the entry fee. That would be my preference. Um, but they had to pay for their practice rounds, and the golf course wasn't shut down, and a disc golfer got hit in the face by a golf ball. Now, I do not know the result of that, but Nick literally said a disc golfer got hit, and the disc golfer claims that it's potentially malicious. We've had this conversation on our, our show, Josh. Nick and I have had this conversation. Like, private venues that are one purpose are where we need to go. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This drives me crazy. Um, to walk a little bit more balanced line, though, instead of just saying it drives me crazy, is I often the generalized media and even a lot of the fans like to make things more simple than they are. And I've been on both sides of the equation. So I just want to put that out there saying running events, even on private venues, uh, can be complex and tough. Budgets are tighter. There's lots of negotiations. Not everybody who has a say always has the best interest of disc golf at heart, right? Like there are lots of factors. Okay. So I acknowledge that in, which also means I don't expect that some of these things weren't tried to do it differently. And a hard choice had to be made at the end, right? So I sympathize with that. However, it's crazy. We're talking about the Pro Disc Golf World Championships. We are, we are treating our sport like it's more legitimate than ever, which is a good thing. At least most of us believe that to be true. Um, it's exciting. Lots of money is being invested in the sport from sponsors and individuals. People are looking forward to watching the media. Players are taking it more serious than ever. Um, because there's more on the line than ever, right? Both from salaries, sponsorship, promotions, press, right? Media, recognition. And then to be competing with casual golf players on a golf course because we can't shut it down, which is probably primarily a money thing, um, is crazy to me. It's crazy. So all the factors that like, well, I almost got hit with a golf ball. I mean, that's, that's the shock value that no, will make us they like, did that, like get talk hit. about it. <laughs> they okay, did, did get hit. Did. <laughs> in right? the and face. So here's the thing. That's the shocking story, right? Which which will foster some more kind of debate and, and dialogue, which is great. But like, not to that individual, but that's almost secondary. My point is, is whether someone got hit or not isn't the point, right? Like, where the professional world championships give us a course. And so I do think uh, it's probably unfortunate. Well, actually, I think this is the way it should go. It's not unfortunate. I'm just saying it's, it'll be a hard road to go over the next three to five years. But we need to be entirely on private like venues. Now, a golf course is a private venue. But my point is, is if you can't go into it and make it private, focused on disc golf, then that doesn't count. 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that's frustrating. And again, that's not like I put all the caveats out there because it's not to say that the tournament director for all they probably want, they, he might agree with what I'm saying. They probably want to shut it down. Right. But my point is, is we have to figure out how to make that happen. If it's stepping stones to get there, great, but we have to make that happen for the growth of our sport. And, and by the way, there's so many factors, not just the fact of players playing, golf no. balls flying. Here's, here's the other but, one. You're like, writing everything. Here's everything. the other one. And this is right in relation to that. Nick says that the golf course won't let them rope the bunkers for OB. So Nick is suggesting that it's going to be really hard or a cluster trying to agree on, is it inbounds? Is it out of bounds? Because they won't let them rope it. So it's going to be very discretionary. Again, to me, like just saying it's the overall principle of the matter that drives me crazy there whether or not like ropes are going to create lots of drama. The actual odds are, Matt, for the top tier players, there's not going to be a lot of drama. But but suffice it to say, one story where there's a debate that a rope could have fixed, right? Or again, for that one player in a practice round who happened to get smacked in the head with a golf ball. I mean, it's these individual stories, right, that do accumulate. But again, it's it's more to me, it's like, yeah, like, so here I am. I'm exaggerating to make the point. But I'm telling uh, a, a co-worker at a major corporation that like disc golf is this awesome up and coming sport. There's, there's a professional world championships. The top players getting paid 10 million a year uh, or 10 million, right? Uh, a million a year for the next 10 years. Uh, we're on ESPN and we have our own disc golf network app. There's podcasts, but we can't actually, we don't actually have our own courses for the professional world championships. Right. We're actually going to play on that golf course over there and in fact they won't even shut it down we can't even like um customize the course for our event like really yeah. <laughs> like so which is it <laughs> right which is it are you actually like a real legitimate sport that deserves that or not and again i'm exaggerating to prove my point because the course is not going to make or break our sport but it will eventually when it's the accumulation of like what's going on yeah <laughs> what's happening yeah and so i mean that's yeah, it's on. I, it's on. It, to, to me, Matt, I think the risk is that that story is not big enough to undermine what's no. happening at Worlds. In other words, it doesn't even change like Which, my excitement about it. However, as a secondary discussion point, it right. does drive me crazy. Right, and here's where I'm kind of going with that too. The governing body of the PDGA, number one, I think it'd be nice if they had, and they probably do, but I would like to see it in a more formalized. They go out and run Worlds. Okay, that way there's a full accountability on the governing body, not like, oh, the TD couldn't get this or that. Like, like, where does the buck stop? Okay, that's fine. But here's the other side of this conversation is event scrutiny. And I think there's a major point you made a minute ago. Does event scrutiny that's been happening lately at the major, uh, the the women's major, right, Um, at worlds now and others now this i will say at worlds it hasn't been that big this year like the scrutiny but there are this undertone of things is that going to continue to progress because the mentality of where we're at in the sport is progressing faster than where we're actually at you know what i'm saying like the same thing that happened with the live the live disc golf and you've made this point before we're so close and doing really well with live coverage that people are expecting it to be like CBS quality when we're watching a golf, like it's an expectation. So like people see a $10 million player, um, they see, you know, all these big moves being made and the sports exploding and hundred thousand golfers join the membership, da, 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 da. And so this is where our sport should be right now. 
And so then we give it harder scrutiny because we think it's where it's not. I'm not saying we shouldn't get there, but I think that's what's happening. And it's, it's kind of bothering me to continue to hear event scrutiny leading up to an event. Like, I yeah, want to have that, these conversations it, it, after. Now yeah. I'm ranting. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. I, it all it all depends on how the scrutiny is is done, right? So that's probably why I put all the caveats out there because I actually think a lot of the people who are movers and shakers would largely, in general, I think, would agree with what we're saying, at least in principle. I agree. Right? So um, that's why I sympathize saying these things are not as easy, right? Anybody who thinks there's a quick fix, there's just, there's not. However, Matt, if we don't voice our expectations, like it may not move as like as fast, right? So in other words, I think us voicing our expectations can actually accelerate the pace of change. So I think we have a responsibility for expressing it. I think players have a responsibility for stating what they expect. How it's delivered is where I think it can really get sketchy, right? So somebody who wants to kind of rant and rave and not offer constructive criticism or not have or have one conversation with individuals on the ground and then, and I have nobody in mind here, right? But then tweet out a different opinion, um, or right to not engage, um, you know, in ways with media that are not constructive. Um, so I think, I think that has to be balanced. Um, but I think it's reasonable for us to state the expectations. Um, I would personally like to not have this undertow leading into an event though. You're right. It doesn't take away from the excitement, but I don't even like thinking about it. And maybe it is just what it is. Like maybe it does have to be talked about prior, but I would like to see it. Uh, Like it doesn't have to be, I would like to see a pro player following an event. Like, yeah, they can use their sway of social media and all that, but why not like start these conversations? So when someone else brings it up, they can say, I've already had that conversation with the PDGA and maybe that's happened and maybe that's why they're going to social media. But like, no, I wish that it's not. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So suffice it to say, I keep putting caveats out there because I think there is a reasonable balance, but there are, there are some interesting like problems that are going to have to get worked out. Right. There just are Matt. Like I saw, Oh, I got to get this right. If I'm going to state this fact, um, who is the current or the TD of the new PDGA major, the match play championships? What was it called? The players championship, something, something. Oh, the players. I, I can't Cup? remember. You're talking the new major, the players. Yes, Cup, I think. yes, yes, yes. Um, oh, right, right. Match but, play, so, the so match play major of, that's happening next year. I think. Of, yeah. We heard lots of blowback on, on that. And I kind of understood some of the blowback on the flip side. I'm kind of like, just play the event and win it, right? Um, however, just stating what I've seen, I saw that TD express that they emailed all the players on the players committee for asking for feedback, right? This is after it was announced, right? Nobody's saying whether that was done good or not, but after about some real things concerning that event and they've heard zero replies, Ooh. zero responses. Do you know where you heard engaged. that? Because that's interesting. Where'd you see well, that? I mean, Social so media? You can look up who the... the <laughs> Right, the TD is that that's well known. Yeah. Um, but I saw this on a social media site on a comment thread. Hmm. Right. With um with some with a top player. So your and point I, though, the point you're trying to make is ultimately like the players are gonna react, but like nobody's making movements. Yeah. So my, my point, you you said event scrutiny. And so here's really my point. Right. It's we should be scrutinizing. We want to accelerate change. I want Pro World Championship to be more than ten thousand dollars. I want it to be played on a private venue. And if it's gonna be played on a shared venue, it needs to be private 
for several weeks before. It needs to be fully customized to our demands. Um, if the PDGA themselves want to come in and run it, right, with some local on-the-ground connections, um, I want it to be publicized. I want the right coverage for MPO and FPO, et cetera, et cetera. We should voice all of that kind of scrutiny. My point is that it needs to be done in a constructive fashion. And um, sometimes there, it can be constructive to get a little bit of a groundswell and a little bit of an uproar to let people know that there's a lot of energy behind it. So sometimes that's appropriate. But that's my point. When is it appropriate? And there are other times when it's not. And you need to find out the right avenue. And so reaching out and talking with people through formal channels, whether you like it or not, sometimes is the best avenue if you want to introduce actual real change. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody in every context. I'm not saying there's one right or wrong way. Like email itself is not going to solve anybody's problems for any event. But it's <laughs> got to be the collective, right, the collective swell of trying to have uh, the right conversations and the right scrutiny you ready, to though? drive change. Here's, here's my thing. We knew it was going to be at this venue for two years. Now, I'm not saying it got easier through the pandemic, so I'm not going to criticize like the timeline there. But on the player side, if these two courses were thought to be two of the worst courses, which, again, I don't have any backup to who said that. That was a text from Nick saying, like, these courses, like, nobody's liking them. That was a general statement by Nick. If that's the case, and these aren't up to like world standards as far as competition level. I'm just, I'm, I'm think mm -hmm. the courses look fantastic. I, I don't think there's any criticism towards the prepped like quality. You're right. Right. Okay. But the competition, whether it's distance or the types of shots or whatever, if there was any feedback on that, even as of two weeks ago, like start the conversation. We had two years to know it was going to be here. Like, right. That's kind of my other thought process. Like don't bring it up now because, Oh, we're here to, okay. I'm going to rant one more time. Paul Ulibari, come on the show whenever you want, Paul, make your point. But here's the deal. You bring up and say, I didn't, I didn't say that uh, the payouts for doubles were underpaid. I just said, what are your thoughts on it? When we all know his point was, does this is obviously a world title and we're not getting paid for it. And that, like, here's my thing. Every year they'll bring it up at the event, but nobody works on it. I shouldn't say nobody. The PDGA is working on it. But like, why bring it up every year right before the same thing with world championships? Like you're bringing it up. Nobody's going to remember. I'm going to be honest. If Paul wins this Ricky Eagle, whoever, nobody's going to be like, oh yeah. Um, like, remember how bad those courses stunk or remember like they didn't OB the, unless obviously controversy. Right. Like, yeah. Unless that's the story. <laughs> right. But like, no one's going to remember that. I can't even remember back to whatever worlds where I was like, like, I'm trying to think of a worlds right now where I felt anything about the courses. <laughs> right like yeah, the now, courses player, are not the storyline per se if you're a player right you might so matt i mean the, the okay so we could keep going yeah. and i'll let you no, we'll ring me on in here when you're ready. i'll let you give a closing talk or whatever you want to say well ju just well just in general like i so i say there needs to be constructive criticism we want to accelerate it's it's appropriate to voice but there's a time and a place and a way to do it but interestingly enough i think the players for the most part right some of them probably push the envelope here but like their what their focus should be being a player now, if you literally want to be kind of the best of the best, you probably want to round yourself and understand PR, right, and marketing and do a little more than that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give a player credit to being a player. What's frustrating to me is the other professionals in the room should be like the PDGA, right, themselves. And it is frustrating to me, and maybe I just miss it, although I don't think that's likely the case, is when players are voicing their concerns 
it is very reasonable to expect the PDGA to match that level of volume in response. And I would expect them to do it professionally, right? So we're not talking about having them arguing with a player, which we've seen, right? I'm not talking about that kind of volume. What I just mean is if, if there's something that's big on the stage of disc golf story, it seems reasonable to me that good PR would be the PDGA would respond to it in some way, even if it's just like, hey, we understand what you're saying. We are discussing these things. This year, this is what we can make happen. We hope to improve in the future. A lot of people would poo-poo right. on that, but it still would be better than nothing. I agree. And so even with like, you know, Yuli saying that, it's like, yeah, is that the best way to say it? I don't know. But I'm almost like, but Paul's a player. Like, let him say what he wants to say. That whole How fiasco, can though. Can't, can the PDGA like handle that? And this is where I do feel like they're lagging. And this is why I think the more scrutiny we give, it will either yes. force them to accelerate their own change or they eventually, I'm not, I, I don't even want this, but I'm saying eventually if they don't accelerate and change and keep pace, they will hurt themselves, right? Like eventually they will become less legitimized, which is too bad. Yeah. I think those are some fantastic points. And so I'm not going to get into that whole fiasco with Yuli and, and the doubles and the payouts because it doesn't, it, like it's a whole thing in and of itself. But so let's move into some positives here because I want to end this show more or less on like the excitement that we talked about going into it. And so here's something really cool that I think is interesting. It, it can have a negative tone to it, but it's not. Spectator passes sold out for this event and i think it was at like 1500 or it's i don't remember now the exact number yep. 1200 but the point is that's a significant amount of spectator passes i mean we were talking about before the european open the major that happens over in europe or not this year um they you know we're like oh they had 2500 people out there it's massive i think disc golf is at a place the world championships if they didn't have a cap limit, which I'm pretty sure that's what's happening here. Pretty sure there's a cap limit, if I remember correctly. They had to cap it, and um, they sold they sold it out. So guess what's happening? This is really cool. First time in disc golf, I think. People are scalping tickets, like literally mm -hmm. going on social media. Does anybody have a ticket? Like, I if you're not using it every day, like I'll use it. I'd love to pay for it. Da da da. Like, since when has that ever happened? Like, I can't even imagine if that happened at Maple Hill where I'm at right now. Like. I, I have to get in here. Like someone get a ticket. Like we're sold out. Like that's incredible place for disc golf to be. Yeah. Well, with minor, with maybe some minor historical exceptions, this is really the first year where we've ever, ever seen a surge of like spectator passes. Exactly. And again, there were, there were some in the past. San Francisco Open did it. A lot of places charged for parking, but if you didn't need to park, you could get in for free, right? Like, so there, there, there's some precedent, but it's just, yeah, this is the first real year where you're starting to see it fairly common. And obviously the COVID regulations kind of made it easier to usher it in. But I actually think even regardless, it's it kind of felt time for that. And I'm sure some people don't like it, but yeah. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome if done right. That's a whole um, conversation. Think, yeah. So, but it, but it does show the excitement, Matt, like it's pretty cool. Um, that they're Scalping limiting to tickets. 1500, but it could probably, I know, but I bet you they could have sold 5,000 if they're, if they're which, been, you could have handled it, which there is hope. Well, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's going to be worlds that has the hype to it. There is hope for like USDGC. If like all restrictions are lifted or like anywhere else, like there's hope yeah. that these events, I, I can see the future <laughs> and it's mm. like thousands of people at these, these disc golf pro tour events. And guess what happens when you have thousands of people paying to get in at worlds they're getting seventy thousand dollars off of the spectator fee now i'm not here to yeah. talk about where it's going should there be fees i'm not here to literally talk about any of that 
Um, hold on. While I'm talking, it says OBS disconnected, no data, but I am still recording. So reconnection successful. We might have lost everybody there for just a second, <laughs> but I'm still going to keep going on here. If we have 5,000, like if, if Worlds is making $70,000, imagine what this all of a sudden, like these events are starting to really bring in all this and all the, the you know, the revenue and like the Disc Golf Pro Tour is going to then start having more viewers on live Disc Golf Network. I mean, the sport, if I'm just casting this out there, it is literally primed to the max. I really believe that um, we're going to see some incredible things over the next five years. I mean, literally. It's going to go from like this little sport to like people knowing about it. Like everybody knows about it. Yeah, to totally feels that way. I think a lot of people over the years have probably felt that way. So maybe that'll go down in the archives is the same. But I do feel like, Matt, that this feels like the time is is different. Um, yeah, and it would be awesome. I, I hope we see it unfold that way. All right. So that was weird with my connection, everybody. I don't know. Those of you who are watching live, those who are watching post didn't really get it. But live, it said I disconnected from the video there for a minute. But looks like we're back connected well. Um, so to wrap it up with more positive talk, you ready for this? This one is going to be a fun topic. How far can you throw a disc? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a throwback by the way for all of our new viewers they're like what are you talking about judge that disc golfer uh how far can you throw a disc josh throw yourself uh, under the bus how far can you throw a disc just kind of put it out there hey wait, wait hold on, three. Hold on. Oh, oh, oh you said okay. three okay he said three that's the number uh, well, that you get yeah everyone has to guess now the first what, number what is, is josh three. gonna say what is josh gonna say everybody this is judge that disc golfer we could do the whole game with you yeah <laughs> Back by popular demand. All right, so the guesses Judge, are hopefully going to start coming Matt's, in here. Matt's brother. Okay, they're starting to come in now. And right about now, go ahead and tell us, how far can you throw a disc? All right. I'm not going to put any disclaimers on it. <laughs> I can throw it 315, 315. Pretty okay. sure that's, that's, nobody. I'd be happy with that. Nobody has guessed that low yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 290, I don't know. All right, 325, someone came in at 325, 330. Okay, 390, someone said 380. Hey, it's been a while since I tested, so maybe with all these range finders, I can go out and pop yeah. off at 350. You never know. Okay, oh, someone said 280, but they must have missed your first number, three. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, good stuff. No, that's just reality. It is what it is. Okay. And I can throw, if someone asked me how far can I throw a disc, I would say 400 feet. That's what I would say. Now, Worlds has fun little side distance competitions. Again, that's a whole nother topic on like, what do you think about field games and side games, all that stuff. That's a whole different one. I just want to talk strictly about the people who showed up to play the distance competition field game and how far they threw on flat ground. I'm going to give you third, uh, no. Yeah, I'm going to give you third place. Ezra Aderholm. Did you look at these at all? Do you know? I don't know precisely. I I know who won, and I know about where the rest of these. Okay, so Ezra Aderhold. Players at fault. Six. Ezra, how far can you throw a disc? <laughs> six hundred and seventy nine feet. Six hundred and seventy nine feet. So just to be clear, I said on my max drive it's four hundred, and I think I'm going to work further than that. Just to put it out there, I think I'm going to get further than that one day. But he's throwing on off of my max drive. 
literally almost 300 feet farther. Like that's almost as far as you can throw. Yeah. As far as you, yeah. W and then, um, uh, Rathbun, Gavin Rathbun, a fairly newer name for people to be familiar with. Yeah, He's had a good year, but still right. He can throw far. (laughs) <laughs> one foot further than Ezra Aderhold, 680 feet. And just to compare that up to the guy who took it home, how far can you throw a disc, Garrett Gerthy? 686 feet. That's like, that's 14 feet away from 700 feet on flat ground. 14 feet. Like, picture a 14-foot putt, like in your head, like a 14-foot putt. That's not far. That's like what you would consider like a gimme for most people. Oh yeah, I, I'm and that's how far away the 700 for that's, double G. <laughs> that's how far away he is from 700. Like literally 700 feet. I don't know how many times I can say it. It's just spectacular. Like literally. Hey, and if you go see the video, <laughs> I don't know if you did. Did you see it? Of, I didn't of watch the video. Throwing? I saw some pictures. Matt. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable because here's, here's the thing. He doesn't do this giant windup like everybody. There's no 360. Oh, right. It's basically his regular walk-up, like more or less. But then, right, if you see, know how double G throws. But, I mean, when he – so the reach back and then when he pulls forward, it is the craziest, like – I mean, it's just so fast. It's like a literal slingshot, right, with his arm. And then, of course, it's the giant, like, flex, right, of course, to get that max distance. But it's unbelievable. It's it really – it's unbelievable. And if any of you have not seen professionals throw in person, like, Matt, I know we've been around plenty of tournaments up close. When you see people like Eagle or Calvin mm. it, in person, you're like, what did I just see? Like, is that biomechanically possible? It is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. To describe it to someone who has not been in person <laughs> to a pro event where the top performers are, I would say that you actually, you hear a snap, you'd say, but I feel like you actually hear the pull of the disc. Like you hear it almost as if the wind is like sonic booming. Like you hear this. No, I, I agree. I hear, I hear their arm. That's what I'm saying. The throw. Through the wind. Like on the like, way before they release the disc. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's they're incredible. literally... It's like a slingshot, like whipping. Like yeah. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. So that's awesome. But let's also, let's not like forget about FPO. Oh, before I moved to FPO, guess what? We had Chris Dickerson on our show once and we did judge that disc golfer. And we actually asked Chris Dickerson. We said, how far can you throw a disc? I don't yeah. know if you remember, but he said I something. I mean, I remember him on the show. I don't remember the answer. I think he was pretty conservative. Yeah, something in the lines of like 450. Okay, he yeah. might've said 475, but somewhere in the lines of like 450. And everyone's like, Really? But I want you to realize something. 450 is very far. Like, very far. Nick, I don't know if you're still in here. Nick doesn't throw 450 feet on flat ground. And he wouldn't say he throws far. But my point is, like, he's almost 1,000 rated. Uh, You have a lot of players. I I should have wrote the whole list down here that that don't throw that far. That's what he would say he throws. He ended up throwing 552 feet in the distance comp. So... All right, I was going to guess 580, so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's more power than I maybe would have given to him. Like, 550 feet is insane far. This generation of disc golfers feels like, oh, if you're not throwing 400 feet, you're throwing short. It's wrong. Like, maybe at the top 10 level. If you're throwing 400 feet plus, you're throwing far. That's There's no way around it. You're throwing far. So, yeah. all right, moving over to Paige Pierce and Jennifer Allen and Ella Hansen. That's one, two, three. 
first of all, let's let's get Jennifer Allen out of the way. She, I say that with all due respect. She is known for throwing super far. She has a unique like stance, run up, weird. I call it weird, weird leg thing, but she can crush. Okay, yep. four hundred and forty six feet. So, kudos to her. She throws way further than me. Okay. Yeah. Ella Hansen. She's Who? obviously Who? yeah Ella yeah exactly. <laughs> we had her on the show. Yeah, I was saying actually we it was the show that you filled in for. <laughs> so, yeah, it was. I've interviewed Ella. Yeah. 426 feet further than me. <laughs> she just comes out and just like, she's like, yeah, my first year in disc golf, I'll just throw it really far. Again, that's really far. I, I There's no way to underplay that. That's really far. I, FPO or not. Like I'm talking all disc golfers. That's, that's up there. And then Josh, you ready? Paige Pierce. Not to be outdone by anybody to put a stamp on. And I think she's like, I have yeah. to show that I'm here. 501 feet. How about that? I love that she broke that 500 threshold just to, like you said, kind of put a stamp on it. Um, yeah, Paige didn't have to come out and show that she could do that, but she's like, look, I'll show you what I can do. And that is, that's incredible. I'm, it, yeah. And it's incredible. Treading lightly here, but her athletic body type is not large. It's not like ripped muscles like Ezra Aderhold. Okay. I've seen her in person throw in front of me. Remember, she did it for the clinics at U.S. Juniors Disc Golf Championship. Oh, yeah. She's done it. I've watched her. I've, Anyways, incredible. And she's just all of that. She does it everything right. She does it all right. And I think she, I don't know. I wish I could figure it out a little bit better. Yeah, but. yeah well, she's yeah one, one of the best, right? Exactly. It's, that's incredible. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. So distance isn't everything, but those were some really cool things to see. Paige also took down the putting competition. Uh, good for her. Um, she she said she's really proud of that. Like in the press conference, that's something she's really proud of because of her putting and the way it's been and whatnot. And yeah. even at Utah, she played the Utah Open two weeks ago or a week ago, whatever it was now, two weeks ago. And she said she didn't feel good about putting. So to come out and win that and to get a score that would have been third place in MPO for putting, she feels really proud of. So. Good for her. Yeah. All right, Josh. Is there anything we missed talking about <laughs> tonight's show where, like, that you're thinking of, that you want to share, or anything? We're excited about Worlds. What do you got for closing thoughts? I don't think we missed it. I mean, we, there's always 110 more disc golf oh, right. topics. Yeah. Um, but no, and I don't even have any, like, you know, crazy last thoughts except for me just to say that the number one tournament every year is Worlds for me. U.S. DGC, a very close second, one, one A, one B, but Worlds um, brings the excitement. The fact that we didn't have Worlds last year um, really kind of ramps up, right? The I'm anxious for this to get going. I love that it's five rounds. I'm psyched that it starts tomorrow. Like I said, the stories abound in both FPO and MPO. They'll, and this is what makes it exciting because I have some guesses how it might unfold. But literally, right, as these players start to tee off, you're going to look in UDISC. Hopefully, you've got, uh, you can get on the Disc Golf Network, right, and take these things in live and just enjoy it. So, like we said, there's a lot of things we like to uh, debate on the growth of the sport of disc golf and what's right and what's wrong and what could be better and, and what's perfect, all of which I enjoy the debate. 
But man, for the next five days, just enjoy the sport, enjoy the competition from some of the best the world has to offer and maybe write some of the best of all time and just like soak it up. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. Literally just, I, I can't wait to see what happens and to get to talk about the results when they're done. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not going to reiterate that, but I am going to say from last week's show or two weeks ago, Nick and I were off last week. We got some incredible messages of where people were listening from. We were getting them all week because not everybody goes live. Not everybody watches on YouTube and listens on YouTube. So funny because I I said like, hey, you know, comment where or message us where you're um, listening from. And I said, you know, we're probably missing a few, maybe like North Dakota. And we had a guy reach out from North Dakota saying, hey, no, man, we got you covered in North Dakota. And there's probably a few more of us up here, too. So no offense to North Dakota. It's the perception maybe that I have of North Dakota being way out there. I'd love to visit there sometime. Um, but we did have people messaging us from states all over. Very. Can I say, like, you're not Nick, so you don't get to benefit of this fully. But like that was extremely cool and encouraging for the show. People literally reaching out and messaging us like, hey, we're listening from here. We love the show. Hey, we're listening. Like, very cool. I will read every single one of those if you message us something like that. It's incredible. The other thing is I would like to say this. This is a fun one to follow up last week's with, where I, or two weeks ago where I said, what state? And Josh, the best part about this is, the people who listen this long into the show are usually the ones who are like, yeah, we really like the show. <laughs> so right. um, hopefully you've listened this far. If you haven't, you ha you're not hearing this. So, But if you are hearing this, then we would like to know, if you don't mind messaging us or commenting in YouTube, that's fine. What are you doing right now? If you're driving, don't, like, I guess if you pull over, go ahead and send us a message like, hey, I'm driving, I just pulled over. But... Like, what are you doing most often when you're listening to the show? Driving, <laughs> grilling, mowing the lawn, working. Maybe it's in a, a mechanics auto body shop or whatever. Like, what are you doing most often when this show is playing? And does anybody else hear the show that's not into disc golf? And like, what are you listening to? You know, like, just give us the scenario. Like, what's happening during listening of the show? Josh, you, you might listen to the show. What are you most often doing? Well, first of all, I was going to ask, do I, I always listen to the show. Yeah, go so ahead. I'll say that first. And then I have to ask, like, do I have to listen to this particular episode when it comes out because I'm on it? Or do I, I, I don't know what the protocol is here. But anyway, <laughs> um, I usually listen to you in uh, a couple speeds ahead, maybe like 120%. So I feel like you're talking really slow today. And then lastly, uh, I almost always yeah, on average, I'm listening to you while I'm running. Like I run a lot. So for anybody who knows, like I run a lot, probably anywhere on average, depending on when, five to 13 miles per day, anywhere from 50 to 100 miles per week, depending on the week or whatever I'm ramping up for, which means I get hours to listen to podcasts. And uh, whenever this one comes out, it goes right to the top. So I'm usually listening to it uh, probably the day after, the morning after when I'm taking it in on the road or the trails. <laughs> yeah. So feel free people. If you've missed out on telling us what state you're listening from, do that. If you want to say, Hey, I'm from this state and this is usually what's happening. I just find it intriguing. In fact, hey, someone just said e eating dinner in New Hampshire. That's where I'm from. So maybe they're <laughs> right down the road. Well, that's cool. Um, 
Yeah, I see that. Uh, you should comment what what town you're from in the live chat if you care to let us know. Um, I find that kind of stuff interesting. I'm not trying to like draw the show out here, but we've talked a lot of disc golf, and I find it interesting to like know things like this. Like Nick and I have talked for a while. We would like to do a large get together, whether it's a tournament or a field day of sorts, where we can all have fun. Nick and Matt show like whether it's competition on the field or mini golf or whatever, right? Like we would love to actually get to hang out with all the listeners who support us. I think it's going to come, but it's hard to do for the whole world. <laughs> like we'll have to like travel like McBeast tour style, you know, I don't know. But Well, if Nick wins worlds. All right. Two grand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give him a yeah thousand dollars and he has to use a portion of that to put on a, a listener party. It'll be awesome. Oh, that's funny. I said, remember I said, maybe you're listening, you know, at work, like in an auto body shop. And this guy goes, yeah. I'm listening from the MO, which I'm guessing Missouri. Uh, and, but usually. And honestly, I listen to all the podcast while I'm at work at a body shop. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. All right, cool. Awesome. Norway in the house. Big Island, Hawaii. I mean, this is cool stuff to us. Please, we do appreciate the comments. But if someone goes out of the way to message us, like literally... You will make me and Nick smile. We appreciate it. Go check it out at um, Foundation Disc or FoundationDiscGolf.com. Both will get you there. You can buy a Nick and Matt hat or a shirt. It goes directly to support us. Thank you guys for sharing and all the love. Look forward to Worlds. If you're listening to this right in the middle of Worlds, like if if you think we're way off on any of our picks or any of our thoughts, like message us and be like, hey, I'm listening and we're three rounds in and you were way wrong or whatever. All right. We've made it to the end of the show. Josh, thanks for joining tonight. All right. Tell, tell someone you love them. Did I get that right? Oh, yeah. Josh, you're awesome. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel. 